Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Plenty of the Premier League to unwrap ahead of a full programme of fixtures. Top flight football under the floodlights on the agenda over the next couple of days. But some are still reeling from a ropey ride at the weekend. None more so than Arsenal, who've made their worst start to a season for 46 years. Granite Xhaka was a clown. Mikel Arteta is walking a tightrope. But will the circus act at the Emirates come to an end with the manager's dismissal? Plus, Leicester City are back up to third after a convincing win over Brighton, so naturally the shouts of title contenders have increased in volume again. Are they really in with a shout of winning the Premier League? And are Brighton really so comfortable in the top flight themselves after another defeat leaves them just two points above the drop? In floodlight focus today, it's Crystal Palace under the spotlight with Jack Pearce from Five Year Plan. And after Jurgen Klopp praised Fulham boss Scotty Parker's dashing good looks, I want to know who's the most attractive manager in Premier League history. I'm Niall, this is your daily Premier League download, Football Social Daily, and with me two men whose chiselled jawlines will be doing the talking today. We've got Jim Salverson, all right Jim? Hey Niall. And Steve McNaughton's here as well, how are you doing Steve? Yes Niall, how's it going mate? Very, very good mate. I'll give you boys a bit of time to think over who's the best looking top flight manager of all time. And we'll do it at the end of the, the best show. best looking at you two then, <laughs> with no, our chiselled jawlines. No, well, not much to pick from there, is there? <laughs> no, no, to be fair. But any players, David Myers. <laughs> any players who are contenders, Jim you're going to say Giroud straight away aren't you? Yeah, Drew's a beautiful man. Best skin yeah. of any footballer in history. Beautiful what, man. What about you, Steve? Who are you plumping for? I'd have to go for for players wise, Giroud. Um, and I'm a magnificent specimen of a man. <laughs> Welcome along to Football Social Daily. Welcome to a new week where we've got a full schedule of Premier League action on the horizon. Games on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Of course, we'll cover them all here on the podcast. But there's only one place to begin today, and I imagine it's a miserable Monday for all Arsenal fans out there. Yesterday, the Gunners lost their fourth home league game on the spins the first time they've done that for almost 60 years it was a 1-0 reverse to Burnley at the Emirates that condemned them to their worst start to a league campaign since 1974 Mikel Arteta's in trouble with his job 
Granit Xhaka's in trouble with the referee and Aubameyang is in trouble in front of goal. It's all going wrong at the Arsenal. Here are the damning stats. 13 points from 12 games, 15th in the league, 5 points above the bottom three. Are Arsenal in a relegation battle, Jim? No, absolutely not. They're in a relegation battle. But the only reason they're not in a relegation battle is because there are easily three worse teams than them in this league at the moment. And for Arsenal to be in a situation where they're going, oh, we've got to hope there's three worse teams is an absolutely ridiculous scenario for them to be in when you consider the talent they have in that team and you consider the money they have spent on that talent. So there are real big problems at Arsenal Football Club right now, but to suggest they are in a relegation battle is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I think, from yourself there, Niall. I think what's most (laughs) worrying is you look at those home matches you just mentioned, those four home matches, and the opposition that they've lost to in Mm. those home matches. It's not... Manchester City it's not Liverpool it's teams that they would have looked at at the beginning of the season and gone that that's our Your bank bankers. of three points yeah. We, we, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna win those there are comfortable wins and that's going to be really concerning for Arsenal football fans at the moment yeah and normally traditionally they're pretty strong at the Emirates their record since they've moved there um, from Highbury all those years ago has actually been pretty good so to lose that many home games on the spin um, like I say the first time since 1961 um I mean, one of those issues that Jim outlined, Steve, might be discipline. We saw Granite Xhaka mm. sent off yesterday by grabbing uh, Burnley's uh, Westwood by the throat. Um, obviously, Mikel Arteta, as managers do now, came out and defended him after the game. Is that defensible, though, from Granite Xhaka? Some people might say it's passion and frustration. Others might say it's stupidity. I mean, which camp do you fall in? I just fall in the stupidity camp um, where Granite can... Uh, I mean, I said that wrong because it made myself sound stupid, but <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, uh, I think it's in the stupidity uh, camp because I just think when I, when I seen the challenge, and I know what you fellas think of it as well, I thought it was pretty much nothing. I didn't really think there was there was you know anything mm. in it. And he's he's turned around and he's reacted like that. And straight away, you're thinking he's just given the, the referee a decision to make. And as soon as he's gone over to that monitor and seen what he's done, the referee said, I'm not having that on the football pitch. Off you go. And this is a player who, I mean, thank God Roy Keane, uh, you know, wasn't on punditry to talk about him, um, because he is a loose cannon. He is, you know, littered with indiscipline, and he doesn't give a about his teammates because if if, if you're on the same hymn sheet as everyone else, you do not do things like that. Arsenal need to adopt that siege mentality at the minute because they've got the doubters, the people shooting them down at the minute, and people having pops on them and stuff like that. And that's the message that. I'm sure would have been getting communicated in the dressing room. And, you know, Granit Xhaka in the second half of the game last night goes out and just undoes that, you know, with with a moment of madness. But it, it's not an isolated incident. You know, this, this player has got a long mm. history of doing stuff like this for club and country. How's he still and at the club, Steve? That would be my question. How, how have Arsenal I, I, I managed got to get through to three that. managers, three years but, or whatever it is, and not have been sold? Because it's not the first time he's done it. I yeah. do think there is a place for a player like Granit Xhaka who has that... And it is, I mean, needle, if you like. It's like yeah. a bit of needle, isn't it? And I think Arteta called it right at the end of the game. And he said it was, it's frustration and it's passion. I can't remember his exact words, but he defended him and sort of said, this is what happens when players want to win. And it shouldn't be what happens when players, I mean, the, the, the effort, the energy there is right. The energy of mm-hmm. the, I'm angry because my team is doing so well, yeah. but doing so poorly. That's the right energy. It's the just the channeling yeah. of that energy that's yeah. wrong. Because default crap. settings... Yeah, yeah. Granit Xhaka knows. If he, I mean, if you put your hands around a player's neck, you're going to get sent off. Yeah. But the challenge that led yeah. to that in the first place, as you said, Steve, there was no need for him to make that challenge at that point. It was 
the ball gone from two yards yeah. when he made the challenge. It was in his own area. There was no danger. It was always going to be a yellow card minimum. There was no need to make that challenge at that point. Mm. But that's the type of player Granit Xhaka is. Yeah. So the the mm. energy levels are right. The frustration's right. It's just the way the players are channeling that. As yeah, well. that's, I, I, I agree with that. You could say that. Jim, but then again, Mohamed El Nenny could have been sent off. I mean, off why didn't well. he get sent off? Yeah, I mean, straight away, I thought on, on, on the challenge with Tarkowski last night in the box, I just thought straight away that's another red card. Mm. I had it on in the living room. I was just before putting the kids to bed and all that. Bit more information than the listeners need to know, but um, <laughs> I thought straight away the referee's got to send El, 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 mm. you know El Nenny off for that as well because. Um, again, another unnecessary. I mean, you get a bit of hustle and bustle as the ball's coming into the box. We've all been in nervous corners from free kicks and whatnot. I've been floated in, and um, it's just unnecessary. And I think it's it's a mindset thing at Arsenal. I mean, many of us have said it on the podcast before, and I mean, thank God Fergal's not on this morning because <laughs> you know, that would have been um, uh, you know a problem. But I just think that collectively there is something amiss with that squad mm. and Sunes mm. has said that the quality isn't there it's not sufficient quality um, we've had people say it's a cultural thing before which you know that there probably is something in that and um, you've got Alexa Meza Ozil in the background who's not in the Premier League squad and, and, and the Champions League squad or sorry Europa League squad um, wishful thinking they're going as Champions League um, and uh, I just think from top to bottom the whole thing's you know is, is in need of re- reform and do I still think Arteta is a good young manager? Yes, I do, because I think you know the start that Arsenal had and the encouraging green shoots that we did see initially um, had evidence to that. But like mm. a house of cards, it is it's falling apart, and the league position is is very very worrying. Um, I don't think they're in a, a relegation fight, Jim. I think they've got enough to get out of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you know they're beating teams like Dundalk in, in in the Europa League, but they're still conceding two goals against mm. you know what what essentially is. Is is part time part time as amateur team, and it's just not good enough. Um, and I, I just hope Arteta survives because I've got a feeling the axe might come down on him soon. Do you know what's really interesting is the team they were playing last night. So the fact it was Burnley who have struggled equally this season, yeah. and could have the same frustrations as those Arsenal players. The way the Burnley players managed it was in a completely different way to yeah. the Arsenal players. They put their bodies on the line. They worked a bit harder. They ran a bit faster. Yeah. And they just went all out to try and battle and win mm. those points. But yeah. they did it the mm. right way. And Arsenal could look at that performance and learn a lot from how Burnley approached well, they're that. They're going to have to adopt a bit of that for the rest of the season, yeah, aren't they? Really. Because if they don't, yeah. they're, going to, they're, they're just going to be stuck down there. And um, teams are winning games as well. You know, you look at the results from this weekend and you're thinking, you know, they've picked up another three points. They've picked up another three points. And... Um, it's very close this season, um, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility for anyone to get in them Europa League places and or oh, get sucked into relegation. Well, if you don't think Arsenal's discipline is an issue, then here's the damning statistic for you. Arsenal have received six Premier League red cards since Mikel Arteta took charge a year ago last December, which is double of any other Premier League side in the same time frame. So that just goes to show that there is a discipline problem there at the Arsenal. Talking of the manager, Mikel Arteta, um, they've gone 12 hours and 32 minutes in the Premier League without scoring a goal from open play at Arsenal. They've scored two goals in the Premier League in total in two and a half months. One of those was a penalty at Old Trafford, which was dubious as to whether Hector Berrien dived anyway. And then there was a header from Gabriel, who's the Brazilian centre-back they've signed. That's it. That's all. And that's not what you'd expect from Mm. someone who's supposedly a disciple of Pep Guardiola. It's fair to say, I think, after the latest result, Jim, that Arteta is walking a tightrope. Now, I mean, some people might think that he's the right man for the job, but the way he started this season certainly plenty of other managers would have already been sacked by now. 
I think well, I've spoken about this before, and I think part of the the idea that he is a manager in Pep Guardiola's image is n- not just in the way he sets up, but also in the fact he is an ideological manager and he wants to play a certain way. Is that a hindrance, sure. though, Jim? Do you think? Do you think? That well, puts I think more at the moment it is. Yeah, I think at the moment it is, and I think it's a weakness as well because at the moment he's got an Arsenal team who undoubtedly have talent in their team, but he's not playing a way that particularly suits that Arsenal team. And we've seen it with their complete lack of goals from open play. They've been making chances. They made chances against Burnley. They made chances, I forget who they played the week before, but they made chances in that game as well. But in large, it was crosses whipped into the box from their wide players, and they have got talented wide players. But playing Aubameyang in the centre is never going to work in that particular style. He's not a big striker who's going to get his head on the end or throw himself like he, like an Oliver Giroud. He's not Ironically, Giroud. that's exactly who they need, isn't it, Giroud? Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's going to hold him back at the moment. So I don't think it's fair to judge Arteta at the moment. Was he the right manager to bring in when they brought him in? I think the jury's still out on that. But if they, ha- they have made that decision and now they have to back it and he's going to need a couple of windows to bring in the players mm. that he needs. I think what is slightly fortunate for Arteta and a few of the underperforming managers this season is that Christmas comes early, literally this year. 12 games in and we're already in the Christmas period, which means January transfer windows are dead early as well. Normally, you're over halfway through the season before you get a chance to address your squad and bring in new players. Arsenal have got that opportunity early. And in January, they have to do that. They have to spend money and they have to bring in reinforcements. I'll tell you what's interesting. I saw a report earlier this morning suggesting that Arsenal and their relationship with Mikel Arteta is now irreparable and they're going to go after Steven Gerrard from Rangers. I don't know how true that is, but I mean, with the with the financial climate with every football club at the moment, I, I think sacking someone shortly into a long contract is probably financially not the most smart thing to do. So I can't personally mm. see Mikel Arteta being sacked. But if you look at the opposite dugout, Steve, Sean Dyche, if Sean Dyche had gone into the Arsenal job, what would have people said about that? They would have said, Sean Dyche... All he's done is got Burnley to play hoofball with limited resources. He's not good enough a coach to get Arsenal into the top four. Yet Mikel Arteta, who's never managed a first team in his life ever, it's his first job, walks straight into the Arsenal squad, uh, straight into the Arsenal job, and is expected to be the next Pep Guardiola. Like, I mean, mm. it, it, are we maybe slightly warped in our narrative of how well managers will do in certain jobs? I think so, yeah. I think, you know, having worked with Pep Guardiola for so many years and success that that Man City team have I think everyone does fall into the trap of um, you know just thinking that he will just carry on that legacy and just be able to pick up and do it in a different mm-hmm. place different players implement his ideas because Arteta was credited with a lot of work on the training ground wasn't he with Man City and certainly kind of the arm around the players and stuff like that and, and trying to kind of get him to increase a level or two but it's difficult with Arsenal because many managers have gone in and, and, and tried since since Wenger and uh, not uh, well Wenger and George Graham or whatever before him, um, but Bruce Rioch and all that crowd. But I think it's fundamentally there's something wrong with the football club. I don't think they buy particularly well, um, and these managers are going in and they're not being backed properly and and they're failing. Um, and we've got another damning indictment here with the position that Mike, Mikel Arteta finds himself in. Um, all's not well and it's not been we've talked about it well, how long have we been doing this podcast 18 months two years Yeah, mm. uh, and we've been saying the same thing haven't we about Arsenal and I don't know 
what the answer is to it. I don't know who could come in. I don't think Steven Gerrard's the answer to go into and I don't think he'd do it anyway. Um, I think he's in with a chance mm. of winning um, a few trophies this season, which will be good for his CV. I think there's there's probably some in the background at him and Jurgen Klopp's contracts finish on the same day in 2024. There's a path laid out for there's him. A, there's there, a path there. laid out for him and I think he's not going to take that Arsenal job. And... I think if if they did get rid of Mikel Arteta, I think they've got to go. For, I mean, you know, they've got to go for someone who's who's an a, an expert at getting them up the table um, and out of the position that they're into. Because if Arsenal finish seventh or eighth again this season, that's still not good enough for them. And that, but you know, can you really see them getting up there at the moment? Well, that's the thing. The games are coming thick and fast as they often do around the Christmas period. Their next game's on Wednesday and they've got high-flying Southampton at the Emirates. Now, if they lose that, Jim, is Arteta still in a job at Arsenal Football Club? I do think they're going to give him a little bit more time. I think it's really interesting the narrative around Arteta isn't the same as the narrative around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because ultimately they're very similar positions. They're ex-players who have a bit of credibility at the club and have been given extra time, but their the results have been disappointing. But it's interesting that Arteta is still held in a higher regard than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He doesn't get the kind of PE teacher accusations thrown at him, but I do think there'll be a little bit of time there. I think it would be... I think, Arte, I think Arsenal need a little bit of stability. I think they need a vision, and I still think Arteta does bring that to a certain extent, so they need to give him at least the transfer window and at least until maybe February, March to turn it around. That said, if we get to the end of Christmas and results don't turn around, I think that could well be it for him. Mm, I agree. Well, one thing Arteta definitely does bring is that Lego man style haircut. It doesn't matter whether it's raining, snowing, windy, his hair is always the same, isn't it? So on that then, I asked you at the top of the show, both of you, who would be the, the best looking uh, Premier League manager of all time after what Jurgen Klopp said about Scotty Parker the Fulham boss he said that he's a good looking man he's an attractive man so it made me think who are we putting there in the top tier of uh, of Premier League managers over the years we'll, get, we'll give some points here we're judging this on style looks and personality who are you putting in your top bracket it's between three for me it would either be Sam Allardyce Bolton era when he had the tash <laughs> there was a smooth appearance uh, Chico Flores at Watford Although he's not there anymore, obviously he was a he was a pretty man. But I think I mean it's Jose Mourinho all the way. When you have those three categories of looks, style, and personality, he's got the silver fox thing going yeah. on. He's got the style. He's got those <laughs> tailor-made Italian suits. And I genuinely can't think of a manager that I'd rather sit down with a couple of bottles of red and have a nice plate of tapas with <laughs> than Jose Mourinho. I think I think yeah. Yeah, and my wife um, certainly sings the praises of Jose Mourinho in that department as well. So that would, Jose would be my one. I think he looks better with the long hair yes, than the skinhead, though. Yeah. Jose's a shout from Jim. Go on, Steve, who are you going with? Oh, I think um, in terms of... Uh, I mean, it's a subject that I've never really thought about, if I'm totally honest. Um, so it, I'm a bit flummoxed this morning <laughs> by, <my> life. <laughs> by, by this question. I think Jose's obviously a great shout. Um you know, he's, he's, he's got the kind of the whole lot going on, hasn't he? Um, although let himself slide a little bit since the Tottenham days. I've seen some of them moves in the uh, training <laughs> world and stuff like that and a little bit of kind of a veranda <laughs> above the toy shop sticking out, you know what I mean? Uh, so I think that um, Scott Parker is immaculately dressed, like like Jürgen said. Um, you know, I think height-wise, he's, he's, he's a bit restricted in that point of view to uh, to get to the top level. But 
I think um, you know um, we can we can't not include David Moyes. You know what I mean? Um, Al Schmiegel <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, you know maybe Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer as well. Like you know, but I, I don't know. I think I'll probably go for Scott Parker just just because I've been caught on the hot with it this morning. I might go back a few years and go for I think Rude Hullet in the Chelsea days with the when he had the dreads. Um, mm. I'm not sure if he was a manager with the dreads. Um, but yeah, definitely, did he have the dreads at the time when he managed Chelsea I'm in Newcastle? Sure, I'm pretty sure he did. I seem to remember him in the uh, Chelsea track suit on the touchline with the dreads in. Big fan, big fan of that. So that would be my choice, Rude Hullet. Um, just quickly, speaking of managers, I just wanted to get this in. Um, sadly, the news broke today that Gerard Houllier, the former Liverpool and Aston Villa manager, passed away. Um, Steve, obviously being a Liverpool fan your whole life, between the years of 98 and 2004, Julio was your manager. Just a few quick words on him and, and the sad loss of him today. Yeah, it, you know, we've seen it just before we, we come into the studio to record the podcast. And obviously very, very sad day for, for his family and everyone connected with Liverpool Football Club, I think. Gerard Houllier is, is a man who modernised Liverpool Football Club. He saw them from that transition from the, the famous boot room um, that went through Shankly, Paisley, Fagan, Dalgleish, um, Roy Evans. Um, and, you know, he was very successful. I mean, the only thing he didn't he didn't win, really, at Liverpool was the um, was the league, wasn't it? You know, I remember going to Cardiff quite a lot and they, they kept winning down there. And, you know, the, the season where they won a treble of trophies with the UEFA Cup were, again, you know, Dortmund's ground. We won beat Alavis 5-4. Um, it's just good memories of the guy and everyone's thankful for what he did for Liverpool Club. And, uh, you know, it's a sad day, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Rest in peace, Gerard Houllier. Time for a quick break now on Football Social Daily, but we still got the matter of Leicester City's 3-0 victory yesterday to talk about. We'll do it next here on the podcast. <laughs> Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. More Premier League action to unwrap now on the show. Leicester City 3, Brighton 0 was a final score yesterday in the uh, in the evening kickoff. In fact, both games kicked off at 7.15, taking place simultaneously. Uh, and Leicester leapfrogged Chelsea into the top four again of the Premier League table after the Blues lost 1-0 against Everton. But it was a 3-0 victory for Leicester over Brighton. They're back up to third. And the title challengers narrative begins again, Jim. They're a good side. They won the league in 2016. Everyone says it's a freak result that they won it in 2016, but they absolutely deserved it. But they're not winning it this year, are they? I keep on saying no, they're not going to win it. But I've no idea why I keep on saying that because the teams around them, I don't tar with the same brush. Like I still think Chelsea are in with a very good chance of winning the Premier League this season. So I've tried to look at why I don't believe Leicester City actually have a chance of winning this season. And I think for me, it's probably questions of depth around the squad they've got. Although they've coped well without Madison this season for a spell, who was absolutely superb against Brighton, they've kept coped well without Vardy as well, and we know how important he's been to them. I think when we get to the other half of Christmas, when we get to the congested fixture list, when we get that out of the way, then we can probably look at it and decide whether they can mount a serious challenge. Because if they get through that and the fixtures thin out again, then we probably do have to start considering them as being title contenders that said I think 
a load of teams will improve going forward this season. Manchester City are still second favourites to win the Premier League, unbelievably, in terms of odds at the moment. And there will be an improvement in form for those, quote, big teams, end quote. So, I mean, when, when would a team, 12 games into a season, who's lost four games be considered title contenders because that's where Leicester City are at the moment so I think it's more the form of other teams that sees them where they are in the table rather than their own form if that makes any sense at all yeah is it not just the case that they've made a good start Steve because as Jim rightly pointed out before the break you know we are only 12 games into the season and Christmas is already here we're actually at Christmas sooner than we normally would be obviously there's still midweek fixtures to squeeze in to kind of catch up in that five-week time frame that we've missed due to there being a truncated pre-season period and an extended end to last season with Project Restart. So is it just the case that they've made a good start? Because after Christmas last year, when people were saying the same things, Leicester could be in for a title shout. They um, they ended up... Title shout. Title shout, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, they ended up... That's exactly what happened. I think it's, a, exactly, it's a relegation shout, isn't it? I mean, a title well, shout. <laughs> a, a title shout is exactly what happened to them because they ended up tailing off massively in January and then they ended up finishing fifth outside of the top four. So is it just a case that they've made a good start rather than they're on course to, to do something special again? Yeah, I mean, looking at looking at Leicester they don't draw any games do they uh, that that which is obviously a big help but they've lost four and they're still kind of only a point off the, the you know the top of the table and I think credit to Brendan Rodgers because he's another manager that copes with injuries he he, he sat you know he makes good signings I think you know they're going to be there or thereabouts until the end of the season I think and I think they'll, they'll fizzle off like they will do it it's a long old season and I think once they can get their head round, because they've done it before, obviously in 2015, that it's a 38-game season, start kind of that game management a bit better. Um, I think they might kind of start, you know, moving on up a little bit. But I've also got to give them credit because the Europa League run and playing on a Thursday night is really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And to you know to still be up there with that schedule and 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 go into that like who's the team that, that Zorhov um, Zoria Lahansk, yeah. Zoriov Lahansk who just beat them recently. Um, Fair play to them, you know, they've won four out of six. Yes, they've lost the other two, but I, I, they'll be hoping that they can consolidate that top four position because they'll have been gutted to miss out on Champions League after what they did last season. I think yeah. credit to Leicester, though, because every season they are improving, despite the fact they're losing key players yeah. like Ben Chilwell. They recruit so well. We've said that before. Fofana looks absolutely incredible as a signing at centre-back. He's only going to get better. So it's not going to be that long before we're talking about Leicester City as genuine title contenders every single season. But... This season, it really? feels like it. I don't. I think that. I think they've got the infrastructure. They've got an engaged ownership that are happy to spend money. They scout really well. They've got a great manager. They've got a good stadium. They're looking to expand. All the pieces are there. So why shouldn't they be? We always talk about who's going to be the next club that breaks into that top four that becomes a title challenging club. Why shouldn't it be Leicester City? Because no one's going to go there over any of the other top six clubs. Well, why would you sign for Leicester? What what reason would you sign for Leicester? Even if Manchester United aren't that good in the next three or four seasons, I'd still go there rather than Leicester. But there has to be a there has to be a churn. There has to be a change in this kind of thing. And I think Leicester City are making. If you look at the the teams that potentially would break into that top four, and we talked about Wolves before, and we talked about I don't know who else have we discussed in that mix. But I think Leicester City are probably leading the pack at the moment in terms of potential people just disrupt, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I still don't think that they're going to break into that elite let's say I still think that there's something not quite there I mean they've won the Premier League once which is a big enough draw for Mm -hmm. any player I suppose but 
I just still find it difficult to see them making massive signings. I really do. Maybe Lovely that part of the world got Foss Park Shopping Centre just up the uh, <laughs> just up the A road there. Okay, okay. <laughs> Enough niceties about Leicester. Let's talk about Brighton because they lost yet again, a convincing win as we say, three 0 to Leicester. Graham Potter's side, Steve, now just two points above the relegation zone. Burnley also won at the weekend. They've got a game in hand too. I mean, we talk about Arsenal being relegation candidates, but it's more likely that Brighton are. I mean, they seem too good to go down, but that's never always the case, especially with sides like Fulham, as we've seen, beginning to pick up form and put some pressure on. I mean, Brighton always seems to be around that position every time they're in the Premier League, don't they? I think they hover with it, hover with it, and just have enough to get out of it. Um, the, the form isn't great. One win in six for them, and uh, they've got injuries mounting up as well. Um, and I always say, because I've said it on the podcast a few times, like when you flirt with relegation, enough times eventually it will suck you in mm. and it just feels like Brighton may be on the, the, the precipice of that I think that um, judging on last night's evidence I think Burnley may have enough to get out of it this season um, I think they might finish around 13th or 14th which is, for the team on that budget and size they, they, they take that but Brighton have got lots of reasons to be concerned about and I think that obviously they give Graham Potter a massive contract didn't he after he'd been in the job for seven minutes and um, he's, uh, yeah, it's a bit tricky there because uh, no one is really talking about them as being potential, you know, relegation fodder, but just looking at it and, you know, the conceding goals as well, you know, 12 games, 21 goals conceded, it, it's not good reading. And I just think that they're, they're another team like Arsenal who've got to start motoring sooner or later, mm. otherwise they're gone. Yeah, they were close to going down last year. And I think the first couple of games after Project Restart, is when they got the job done. Basically, they picked up the points they needed to pick up to keep them uh, above water. But they've already played some difficult teams this season. Their opening gambit to the season, so to speak, was some tough top six sides. And they didn't get the results there despite playing well. And when they've played against some sides outside of the top six, they've played okay, but they've not got the results. And that's the problem. I mean, you can play as well as you want between box and box. If you don't get the results and score the goals and keep clean sheets, you're going to struggle in the Premier League. Yeah, as we've said all season, it's about scoring goals for Brighton and they can't score them. The interesting thing is, whenever we've spoken to Brighton fans in our floodlight focus, they realise they're at risk of relegation and they've said it is a danger, but they don't seem to be that bothered about the risk of relegation. I think they're quite happy with the way the club is run at the moment. They feel if they go down to the Championship, they should be able to come back to the Premier League again. And it's almost like they take it as part of this transition that Brighton are in at the moment, that they've brought Graham Potter in to play this more attractive, more expansive football. And the flip side of that is the danger of relegation. But they didn't want to carry on in the same style that they had under Chris Hooten. So it kind of feels like Brighton fans are accepting of that I don't think they'll get relegated this season. I think they might stay up. They're going to flirt with it and they'll be down that wrong end of the table. They'll finish between 15th and 17th like they always do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They'll stay up by one point or two points, but there has to be a point in Brighton's future that they stop having relegation battles and they take the step up and it's great playing pretty football and it's lovely having passing patterns in the middle of midfield, but... Graham Potter at some point needs to go, right, that's the transition finished. We are now this football club that plays better football and we need to start seeing an improvement in terms of our league positions. That won't Mm. be this season, but I do think they'll survive. 
Okay, well, next up on Football Social Daily, we'll be going from Brighton to their rivals, Crystal Palace in Floodlight Focus, where Jack from the five-year plan will be talking to us all about the Eagles. Um, But before we do that, thanks very much to Jim. Thanks very much to Steve. Uh, Don't forget to hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. Um, Just quickly before you go, Jim, new podcast out from you on Sports Social Football Stories. Oh, yes, you can get Football Stories now. It is long form interviews with some really interesting people from football football tends to be about like really big names and big personalities but these interviews are with people that you don't hear talking all the time like Colin and Gary Lewin who were the physios at Arsenal and West Ham and England as well like Mark Halsey Premier League referee and like Dan McCarthy who was in the youth system at Chelsea alongside the likes of Mason Mount but then got spat out by the system and is now a coach in LA so some really interesting interviews you can find it just searching football stories wherever you find your podcasts nice one and we'll get the latest story on Crystal Palace next here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast you can find. I challenge you to find another one with a brand new show seven days a week, and that will continue right over the Christmas period. Even Christmas Day will have a brand new podcast for you. So if you don't want to miss anything to do with the Premier League and keep bang up to date with all the latest top flight action, make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss another episode. Time for Floodlight Focus now. And today the spotlight swivels to Selhurst Park where Crystal Palace are under the spotlight. And to talk all about the Eagles, we've got Jack Pierce on the line from the five-year plan how are you doing jack hello hi thanks for having me not a problem at all i tell you what i'm glad that you've mentioned this before we started recording this because you let us know that you're actually inside the ground which must have been an amazing experience considering it's been so long away and we've spoken about it so many times on our podcast and the narrative about fans being absent for so long has been kind of top of the news agenda over the last few weeks but what was it actually like to get in there talk us through what happened you know from getting the ticket to getting through the turnstiles to sitting in your seat what was it all like it was great um i mean it would have been better if it was a win it was only a draw but uh i'll, I'll definitely have taken the uh the draw anyway and especially the palace performance um in terms of the the process it was it was quite seamless really um uh, we we were grouped as as friends and family of, of those that attend games uh, regularly um together so that was good so um we i went to the game with with my friends and family who i normally go to games with um which was lovely mm-hmm. and then in, in terms of queuing outside that was your kind of typical now uh, covid friendly queue outside any facility that you uh you go into a quick temperature check and then and then you're in and then I think the idea is you you kind of go to your allocated seat as quickly as possible um, and then once in your allocated seat um, you're you're appropriately spaced from others and and uh, yeah you just kind of get on with the game and it, it took a couple of minutes to kind of get used to being back in the ground and given that it's been uh, you know nine months since we were last in there but you know very quickly get back into the pattern of uh, giving the referee some grief um, well earned <laughs> yesterday, well earned yesterday by Kevin Friend um, and. Yeah, it was just great to be back. Really, you know, two thousand fans. We made a, a fair bit of noise as well, um, yeah. which was which was really pleasing. And I think um, some of the players have kind of gone on social media and, you know, whether they are being genuine or not, but they have they have said that it, it did really help to have fans back. And I think it has done players genu- generally across the league. I think it's been um, mm. a, a really pleasing re- um, return to the grounds for for fans of all clubs. And hopefully, you know, all clubs do get to have some fans back in ground sooner rather than later. 
Did it fill that craving, Jack? You know what I mean when I say that, when, you know, everyone's been absolutely desperate to get back into grounds over the last nine, ten months. Did it Did it fill that void? Did that satisfaction come back of watching your team in the flesh? It did for me. And um, I think probably the Palace performance um, probably made me feel like that. If we'd been fairly mm. drab and, uh, and negative, it, it might not have done. But it was... It was a good Palace performance, which obviously aided it, but it did feel good to be back. It felt good to be walking back up, um, you know, the normal roads that you, you take to the ground. And, um, you know, you know, as I said, I, I went to the game with friends and family, but, um, you know, it's even funny just to see faces of, of those people that you don't know the names of, you don't know where they come from, you don't know how far yeah. they've travelled, but you just know their faces from, from every other weekend when you see them at Palace and, you know, really nice, polite glances and looks at each other. And, you know, I think everybody was just pleased to be back. I think the only people that weren't pleased yesterday were were those that tried to do their Sunday shopping at the Sainsbury's underneath the grounds, <laughs> um, only to find out that it was it was closed because of the game. But uh, yeah, no, really, really good to be back. And as I said, uh, a very positive performance from Palace, which um, which added to the afternoon as well. As you mentioned, seeing those recognisable faces, I think it's all about familiarity. And as you speak about the game yesterday, the one-one draw with Tottenham Hotspur, um, Crystal Palace fans will be all too familiar of the skills and ability of Jeff Schlupp. But I think he's quite an underrated player in the Premier League in general. I mean, how important is he to to Palace in certainly the way that Roy Hodgson wants to to construct things on the pitch? Because I think he's a bit of an unsung hero sometimes. He's uh, he's very highly rated by the manager, um, which goes. Um, a lot, a long way in, in terms of Hodgson trusting him. Um, he's played a, a number of positions um, for Roy, be it a left back, central midfield, on the flanks, and and even uh, earlier in the season um, started the game up front. So he, he's very versatile. His energy is superb. He you know he gets up and down, and he's and he's quite combative as well. He he, he went in for a 50-50 yesterday with um, I can't remember who it was, but he, he let, I think it may have been Lacelso, and uh, he left him on the floor. Um, and I think I'd still be there if, if that was me putting that, that challenge in. Um, but he really gets around the pitch and, and he adds a great deal of balance. I think with the addition of um, Eber Eze on on one flank, I think mm. Schlupp offers that kind of more defensive-minded um, mindset where he can kind of get up and down. But he also does add, you know, in our in our uh, final third play and, and, and does pop up with the, with the odd goal. I think, um, you know, yes, it didn't surprise me to see him being on the end of that chance once it kind of spilled out from the goalkeeper. And um, yeah, it was it was really pleasing to to get that goal and pleasing for him because his, his performance yesterday, he was, he was. I mean, the whole team was good, but he was one of the, the better performers um, mm. across the pitch. And uh, as I said, Roy really trusts him. So um, it doesn't surprise any Palace fan when we see him start um, any given game. Tottenham are top, so always a good point when you uh, when you get a draw against the top place side in the Premier League. But certainly, many people's man of the match was your goalkeeper Vincente Coeta, who has been pretty much exceptional, actually. I think since he stepped through the doors at Selhurst Park. Uh, again, we talk about underrated players and players like Jeff Schlupp, but you know he goes about his business every week, and he's also another player which is loved by the supporters uh, down there in in Croydon. So, I mean, what's the kind of feelings around him and, and how do Palace fans rate him and his performances so far? Yeah, he's a huge fan favourite. Um, he has a, a shot-stopping ability, which is um, which is really great. It's um, he, He's made some wonderful saves since joining the club um, and a few of which yesterday probably rank as amongst the best he's made um, since joining the club. Um, a free mm. transfer um, a few summers ago from, from Hatafe. Um, kind of went under the radar but as you say I, I think he is underrated in terms of kind of overall Premier League goalkeeper rating but you know as far as we're concerned we've got one of the one of the best um, perhaps outside the top six in terms of um, our number one um, I, I think there is the offer of a contract um, extension for him which we are all hoping he takes and 
Um, you know, long may his form continue. You know, I, I think obviously he could have done better with with Harry Kane's goal yesterday, but he makes three absolutely superb saves. So, sure. um, as far as I'm concerned, he's in the positive for um, for yesterday. The, the free kick save at the end from Eric Dyer from from where I was sitting looked great in in real time, but then to see it live and just to see how far he's got across his goal and the the kind of yeah. lengths he's put to to get that. And just uh, if anybody has a chance to to see a photo of the face he's pulling at the moment that he saves it, it really is quite a a treat for your eyes. I think um, he really is maximising his his full physical ability when he's uh, when he's making that save. But yeah, no huge huge fan favourite um, at, at Palace, and um, you know hopefully mm. we have him for a, for a few more seasons yet. Not a bad time to pick up a confidence boost either, is it really? Considering you've got West Ham next on Wednesday, and then you welcome Liverpool to Selhurst on uh, Saturday. So you know the Christmas fixtures are upon us, and they're going to be thick and fast before too long, Jack. So I mean, it, it's a good time to try and get into a good run of form isn't it with some tough games on the horizon yeah please have taken some points from West Brom and and Spurs I think if you'd said to um, any Palace fan from those two games particularly after the losses against Burnley and and Newcastle if we could take at least four points from those games we'd have definitely taken it Um, Mm. given our run of fixtures over the festive period you know as you said we have West Ham away and they're obviously in a very very good place at the moment Liverpool we know what they can do Um, and then we have Villa away on Boxing Day and followed by Leicester at home so four quite difficult fit I mean obviously every uh, fixture in this league is difficult but um, for you know rather difficult uh, fixtures on paper which um, you know we'd hopefully take some something from but um, yeah it, as you say it's, it's nice to go into those games with with a bit of positivity around the place and actually playing some nice attacking football as well mm. so um, yeah Roy's got a relatively healthy squad at his disposal so um, as all managers will I'm sure there'll be some chopping and changing but but Roy doesn't chop and change as, as much as uh, some of his uh, managerial counterparts do so we'll see um, we'll see what he does but uh, yeah I think just given as you say the fixture congestion some chopping and changing will will be necessary just to keep certain mm-hmm. players fresh um, but what we take from those points uh, uh, sorry what we take from those games um, I don't know but I, I, I'd hope we pick up you know the odds win and draw from that from those games albeit knowing they are going to be very difficult fixtures. You talk about Roy Hodgson there and we've mentioned him several times on the podcast over the last 12 months or so and actually we've spoken a lot about the average age of Crystal Palace's squad. Now a couple of signings in the summer, Ebre Eze and of course Ferguson as well coming in has has lowered that average age down Um, but the Palace fans we've spoken to in general have suggested they're not too sure about the future of the club under Roy Hodgson. You know exactly what you're going to get with Roy. He's He does a solid job. But in terms of progression and moving the club forward, um, we know about Roy Hodgson's contract and the situation that it's up in the summer. So do you think that it will be a natural time for a change when that rolls around, presuming that you maintain your status as a Premier League club, which looks likely again for another season? Do you think that that's sort of the natural break-off point for a, perhaps a new change of style or change of manager? I think it very much depends on how the second half of the season goes, to be honest. I think if we, you know, uh, continue playing uh, relatively well and, you know, finish comfortably mid-table, um, and if Roy's willing, I, I don't necessarily see it as a as a natural break. Um, mm. I think for, for a lot of uh, Palace fans, obviously, we, we want to see fast, free-flowing football each week. Um, but as you said, with, with Hodgson, we know what we get. And actually, more importantly, Steve Parrish knows what he gets with Hodgson, and that is, yeah. you know, almost guaranteed Premier League survival. Um, the last time we had, you know, the opportunity to make a, you know, a decision in terms of the management, we we plumped for uh, for Frank de Boer, and that did not go especially well. So I think sure. the the club will be wary of of that. But obviously, they will be taking into appreciation uh, Roy's age and and obviously the age of the squad and and knowing that uh, an evolving of the squad will be will be necessary. So it is quite possible that. 
um, kind of background research is going on. The name of Eddie Howe is one that, that has popped up um, a few times. So, you know, Eddie Howe is someone who has said that he's enjoying his break from football and not looking to get um, back into the game as quickly as perhaps others um, have rumoured him to, to be in line for other posts. Mm. So, um, you know, that could be that could be something. I, I know Parrish is uh, supposedly a fan of, of Howe and interviewed him for, for the job previously. So, um, you know, we, we could see... Um, that happening next summer but as i said i i think if if roy is willing and the team's in a good place and the squad's in a good place um that doesn't necessarily mean the the end for hodgson i think the, the thing that roy would need to take on board is that there is the need to um to invest in that squad and to evolve for the future so it may be that you know certain signings are made um with with kind of the post roy era in mind and i think Eze and, and Ferguson, who we haven't seen yet. Ferguson's currently got Been an injured. injury. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, Eze has, has taken to the Premier League very nicely. Um, and I don't think Roy will have any problem using players that are bought for the future, but obviously um, maybe a little bit more practical in terms of their use. Although he has used Eze um, as much as he possibly could have done for the last um, for the last month or two. So interesting times, but I don't know if it's a natural end next summer, but it, it may well be the case that a change is made um, simply because of, you know, Roy's age and, and the need to move the squad on slightly. Yeah, very pragmatic response, Jack. So fair play for that one. Um, uh, and it is a case of wait and see. But if I drag you back to Project Restart last season, the first couple of games of Project Restart, things were going swimmingly for Crystal Palace. You're in with a, an outside shot of the Europa League spots. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously it was disappointing. The form after that definitely took a nosedive and, and things didn't finish off last season how Crystal Palace fans would have wanted them to. But certainly this season with the way things are so open, you know, you can't ever say never to the fact that if Crystal Palace do string a few results together, and we've seen sides do that over the years, there's a possibility that Palace could finish in the top 10 or even the top eight, perhaps, if things do go well for them. So is it a case of kind of um, keeping a lid on your possible aspirations for Crystal Palace this season? Is it about kind of taking a look of the Premier League as a whole and, and seeing things maybe from a more realistic point of view? Or is there, you know, the likelihood that Palace fans are going to dream of a, of a chance to kind of seize an opportunity this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the league is more open this season simply uh, because of the, the different factors that are at play that, have been, um, that haven't been in play in previous seasons. So it doesn't surprise me to see a Southampton or... You know, perhaps Leicester aren't the best example because they've been up there, um, obviously in recent seasons and even won it a few years back. But um, Southampton, you know, there they are comfortably in the in the top four and, and look very good each week. So there is the possibility of of, of teams perhaps uh, not so recognised in the top half finding their way out there, and Palace may well be one of those. I think the key for that is keeping obviously some of our our key players fit, and you know, no more so than than Wilfred Zaha, whose um, you know form is. Um, is very good at the moment. And if he can maintain that, there's no reason why Palace couldn't possibly um, push for a top 10 position. We actually haven't finished in the top 10 since being promoted in 2013. So even just a top half finish would be a, a real positive. And I think anything on, on top of that, perhaps in terms of a, a European mm. challenge or anything like that would be obviously a huge bonus. But I think, you know, a top 10 place is a, is a serious ambition for the club and, and well within reach. Um, you know, we're seeing uh, that, you know, the squad perhaps be stronger than it has been previously. We're seeing the return to form of, of someone like Christian Benteke, who who makes us a better team when when he's got the bit between his teeth. Um, his last two performances um, from the start have been excellent. He really occupied Eric Dyer and and Toby Alderweireld um, all game yesterday, and, and they <laughs> I think come the final whistle they certainly knew they'd been in a game. So <laughs> um, you know if we can keep the squad fit, there's no reason why a top ten um, finishes isn't a possibility. We you know the FA Cup is always there for every club, and Roy hasn't you know perhaps given us the best chances in previous years of 
of going deep into those competitions. And I, I don't know whether he'll change his mindset this year. We've got a rather uninspiring away draw at Wolves um, in early January, which um be interesting to see what type of team he puts out. Might even start himself and Ray Lewington, um, knowing, uh, knowing Roy's <laughs> previous squad rotations for cup games. But, um, you know, that would also would be a, would be a lovely, um, uh, mm. you know, challenge that the club could take on. We got to the final a couple of years ago, um, yeah. having lost to United. So, you know, mm. I think a top 10 challenge is certainly within reach, but that probably would, um, would be about the the best of our ambitions, I think, this season. Yeah, top 10 finish, the higher you finish up in the Premier League, a few extra quid for the club as well. So maybe that might help Absolutely. with what you said before about that regeneration of the squad and, and perhaps uh, changes in play and personnel. Jack, it's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you, my friend. Where can people find more from you and, and more from the five-year plan? Uh, well, five-year plan are across all social um, social media platforms. Um, so, so have a look for them on there. Um, my personal social media is a, a bit of a bit of a sorry state so I, I probably won't go into detail there but I think if you if you want to find me then um, I think the club do post from uh, or feature my details on, on their account but I'd certainly give FYP a, a follow on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook if, if you're interested in that type of thing um, lots of uh, materials and information about the club um, and and a weekly podcast as well so um, you know there's 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 the plug um, but yeah I'll, I'll leave the plug in terms of FYP rather than myself. <laughs> So just before you go, can you reveal the secret of what the five-year plan is or will people have to go and find out for themselves? Well, the five-year plan goes back a, a, a fair way back, actually, and it's probably kind of now outdated um, in terms. But I guess with a club like Palace, the uh, the term five-year plan always applies because there's always <laughs> there's always something within five years' reach. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, the five-year plan initial quote, I think, goes back to perhaps the days of Simon Jordan, um, maybe even further back to, to maybe someone like Mark Goldberg. But... Um, yeah, uh, as I said, it's always an evolving five-year plan with with Palace. Um, but no, it's a, it's now a very trusted source of good Palace information. So feel free to to get to get following and um, and get listening on their their weekly pod. Top man, Jack. All the best, and hopefully catch up with you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Jack. Don't forget to go and check out Five Year Plan, as Jack says. And don't forget to hit subscribe on the podcast as well, because as I mentioned before, every single day of the season, including right through Christmas, we'll keep you up to date with all the latest news, views and opinions on the English top flight, including a rundown of all the midweek Premier League action, which you don't want to miss because there's some exciting games taking place over the next few days. And if you've got an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker, you can get match reports and match previews straight to your device for whichever Premier League team you support. All you need to do is ask your device to open Sports Social. That's it for today's podcast. I've been Niall and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.